right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast MBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. John and Chuck will be back later in the week. Probably episode will come out on Thursday morning this week. I know we've been bouncing between Thursday and Friday on you, but uh, probably Thursday this week based on our schedules. I myself just returned from a weekend in Memphis, saw perhaps the best playoff game I might ever see. It was a aesthetically pleasing Grizzlies and Spurs showdown with tons and tons of big shots and fantastic all-time historic performances. I did talk about it. I'll plug another podcast, the You Like Hoops podcast, which can be found on the Grizzly Bear Blues feed. I was on the You Like Hoops podcast with host Chase Lucas talking about kind of the Grizzlies and the Nashville-Memphis dynamic and that big game four. So check that out if you want to hear that. Also, reminder, still looking for votes for the Memorial Magic alumni team. You can go to fastbreakbreakfast.com, and that'll redirect you to the tournament.com where you can vote for the Memorial Magic alumni team. We are trying to recruit votes. It helps us out. So if the Memorial Magic alums wins the basketball tournament, we get paid. So that's a free way that you can help out our show. All right, and now to the interview. My guest today is an NBA writer who has written for ESPN, Rolling Stone, Sports on Earth, The Athletic, Vice Sports, and many other places, and also has one of the best handles on Twitter. It's uh, Damian Trillard herself, Sirit Sohi. How are you doing? Pretty great. Great to be on today. How's it going? Man, fantastic. Can't complain. It is just, it's Monday night. I'm re-watching Spurs Grizzlies from Saturday night, just again, I'm a Grizzly fan. I was at the game, I'm just enjoying it. I'm basking in it. I'm, <laughs> I'm recognizing this could be my season apex. So I'm just, you know, I'm just soaking in it. The W is where you can get them. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those where the season was going kind of poorly. And now we, the, you know, you win two playoff games in a row and it kind of validates like, oh, I guess our season's all right. I guess that's all we were hoping for really which says, I guess, several things about us as a fan base. Anyway, uh, Sirit, are you, do you have a favorite team? Uh, sort of. Uh, I kind of had that thing happen where you start writing about the NBA and you, you lose a lot of your fandom, and that's kind of what, what's happened to me. I guess my favorite team is Chicago, but, you know, even seeing them, them go up to, oh, I kind of, it kind of hit me how much I'm really not a fan of any team anymore because I was like, I was happy. I was happier than I would be for any other team, but it wasn't like, you know, like you should be elated when you're the, when you're cheering for the eighth seed and this is what's happening. And I was just like, Oh, this is, this is cool. And now that it's looking like they're going to drop the series, I'm still, I'm just like pretty neutral about it. It was a, it was a big, uh, realization i guess yeah i think the first thing to go and a lot of that comes with me i've noticed just getting older i i've lost the agony and (laughs) i don't know if that's just the deadening of emotion where i'm no longer like really devastated after losses i'm kind of just like well they lost another one 
But it was funny for me. Um, I, I was at the Memphis game on Saturday and I, I had a credential, but I also had a ticket that I'd purchased and I was there with a buddy. So like I'm down with my buddy watching the game and I'm cheering like crazy. You know, I'm going full emotion, cheering, cheering. And then I walked back up to the press se- section and like, you're not supposed to do anything. And so it's a, it's a hard transition. And you're like, it's not as fun to sit in the press and have to be all stoic and professional and, and not cheer and be like, that was a good play by Mike Conley. Um, <laughs> but be- before right, right. So you said you spent a night. Say that again. I'm just going to say you spent a night. We just, you spent a night basically just toggling between the two different ways that people watch sports. Right. Right. And I, I didn't do much of the media section. I mainly spent, I did the, you know, pregame went down media post game media, but during the game, I spent most of the time in my seat. Cause I wanted to cheer. I wanted to clap. I wanted to have fun, you know, at the, uh, that's what sports are about. It's not as fun when you have to be all, I guess, dispassionate, but I, I guess someone has to write about it. Not me. I just podcast. Um, <laughs> Before, before we get any farther, it is our tradition to talk about breakfast. So I'm curious, did you, uh, did you have a breakfast today? Uh, I did. I did. I had a, uh, I had a bagel, which, well, this is going to be pretty on brand for, for a Canadian. It was from Tim Hortons. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so is that, is that a regular breakfast routine? Is that a highlight breakfast or is that just kind of a run-of-the-mill, just had to get something? No, I actually, uh, I, I had to rush out today, so I had to grab something. I usually, every, like, I, I pretty much have a breakfast burrito every morning. Oh, that sounds awesome. Is that a homemade breakfast burrito, or are you buying it somewhere? Yeah, yeah, homemade. That's pretty good. What, what do you throw in there? Uh, well, um, obviously, like, eggs, um, whatever vegetables around, spinach, onions, bell peppers, tomatoes um you know and then based on how how soft it, or if there are avocados yeah. then it'll either be like cut up avocados or it'll be like really like on the fly guacamole bunch of hot sauce sour cream the, the regular burrito stuff that's spectacular that sounds like a great a great way to start the uh start the morning well i'm curious um so, so right now you are uh, you're in edmonton is that correct mm-hmm. What is the, uh, my, my, yeah. my ignorance of Edmonton is staggering. Um, does the NBA broadcast like all their national games? Does that, does that make it to you guys or do you have to do like just league pass stuff? No, we get, we get almost all of the national games. Uh, it's on, uh, it's on TSN, which is like the Canadian right. ESPN Sportsnet. And honestly, like the only times that you'll ever end up in a situation where you wanted to watch whatever's on the national broadcast is when maybe they're playing the Raptors game ahead of it. Although I don't think that's happened in, in quite a while or obviously like there will be like a marquee game of stuff, like maybe like the gray cup or like some really, really important hockey game that will occasionally block it. Mm-hmm. And th- those days are, are kind of, it's kind of weird because it's still blocked out on league pass. Right. At the same time. So, you know, sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and like, if there's a game you wanted to watch, you realize that like, you're not going to get to watch it. Yeah. But I, it happened too often. I'd say I get that sometimes. I mean, I think all there's whatever the weird blackout rules are, depending on where you are. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we're like a secondary market for the Hawks. 
But if the Grizzlies play, we can't watch the Hawks, but they're, they're, but they're blacked out on League Pass. Or if they're on NBA TV, like we can't stream because that's blacked out. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird mess. Anyway, do you feel, uh, as a Canadian, do you feel any of that national kinship towards the Raptors that I feel like they're trying to uh, get? Uh, a little bit. Just It's mostly like I'm, I'm kind of just happy to see the NBA become more popular where I am and just like basketball and like just seeing people in jerseys or hats and stuff like that. Um, it's always good to, it's always good when like, you know, you can, you can walk into like a restaurant or something and like have people watching a playoff game. There's allegiance and stuff. Like that's always fun. It always just like whenever a sports team is doing well, like wherever you are, that place is, that place is going to be, is going to be a little bit more fun to be. But like aside from that, like no no real like true allegiance. Like it's just like stuff that like you know, as an aside, will right. will make me happy. But I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a Raptors fan or anything like that. If they were playing against like a team that I'm neutral towards, then I'll cheer for them. But sure. you know, that's crazy. <laughs> how did you How did you end up a NBA fan? Oh, just I just played basketball when I was younger, so mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the long and short of it. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, well, you wrote something very recently um, in kind of addressing, it might have been published actually today on Monday, it was addressing the Rockets-Thunder game on Sunday that was very aesthetically unpleasant at the end of the game with all the fouling, and particularly the purposeful fouling. I'm curious, uh, you, and so you, you, the article was about ending hacking, uh, or, or the, as you called it, hacktics which I thought was a nice little turn of phrase there. But uh, what, what was your take on hacking and, and what the NBA should do about it? Well, first of all, I'm going to have to give credit to the hacktics pun to my editor, okay. who's obviously <laughs> very, very good at writing headlines. But, um, yeah, like, it just, it, it just, uh, we've, we've come too far with this. Like, it's just been, it's been so long. It has bogged down so many important marquee matchups. And it's bad for the NBA because these games are when, like, casual fans are starting to tune in. And, you know, they turn on the TV. They're hyped for the fourth quarter of a really close matchup in, like, a showcase game. And this is what they're tuning into. Like, it just, it just makes zero sense. And... You know, I think about it in terms of, you know, people will say, like, you know, shouldn't bad free throw shooters be punished? And yeah, but shouldn't they be punished in the context of an actual basketball play? Because hacking isn't really basketball. And on the same token, you can kind of flip it over. Like, usually the guys getting hacked are are bad defensively. And isn't it more important that the team that isn't good enough to hang gets punished for not being good enough to hang in every other skill set of the game that isn't free throw shooting. Yeah. So I, I, I agree completely. I, I, why well, I, I hate the hacking. I think you said the phrase that like, it isn't really basketball. I think that's like a big deal with a lot of the other foul calls, especially the, the foul drawing of like James Harden or Russell Westbrook, or even like Mike Conley who's gotten good at going over the screen and, and getting a bump and then shooting a three and getting three fouls. But you, you were proposing actually for hack of whoever to get rid of it by just, it, were you, you were saying just to extend the current rules as we, as we have it now, like, like that are in the last two minute, every quarter, you were saying make that go like the entire quarter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then, that would be 
possession and a free throw. So, so possession and a free throw for an off the ball foul. I think you were also saying that you wanted the officials to have some discretion of being able to figure out kind of what an intentional foul was away from the ball. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, well, it seems like part of the reason it's never been done like this is because like, I, I, I don't even, uh, you know, I don't even know what it is really. It's, it seems like there's, there's some notion that it might be like hard to govern or something. And it just, it would just be the easiest thing for a ref to ever decide for anybody to decide. Like everyone knows what an intentional foul is. It's, it would be the easiest call in the game compared to the other calls they have to make. So it's just like, it just seems like common sense to me to just let them figure out what an intentional foul is. They'll know. Yeah. I think that, I think that makes sense to me. Like the elimination of the non-basketball things, is I think a brilliant goal for the league to have. I also wish they would give the league discretion. So like when it's on the fast break, the clear path, I wish that would be a little more of like, let the officials sort it out. Cause there's so many times to me where the guy is breaking away and a person is actually in front of them and then like tries to make a steal. And by the time they make the steal, the person's pulled ahead of them. And then they're, they say that's a clear path where I'm like, well, that isn't the spirit. That guy was guarding the ball. And then there's other times it's a clear path and they're, they, they review it. And, you know, so I, I wish there was a little more where they trusted the officials a bit more to say like, yeah, that's like, that's an intentional foul. That wasn't a play on the ball or that was, you know, purposely we're doing that just to put whoever DeAndre Jordan on the line. I also wish uh, with the shot clock violations, like they could do a little more like in soccer where they could just play advantage. You know, like it's obvious the defensive team um, rebounded the ball and we can play on from there. Like I think the fewer stoppages that we get, you know, it's definitely better. Yeah. And definitely in the playoffs when it is, I think, I think the two big issues for like the NBA is thriving obviously right now, but it's thriving with its own people, like its own fans, its hardcore fans. Like I think another way it could really improve to, more casual fans tuning in for the playoffs is one take care of those foul issues. And also uh, like the tanking issue, the tanking issue is like the one thing where I find it's pretty much indefensible when someone's like, I don't like the NBA cause those, they don't try to win all the time. You're like, yeah, yep. You're right. Like no, nothing I can say about that. Um, is there anything that you see in the NBA that you wish maybe would uh, be changed a little, or you think could be changed for an improvement? Well, just going back to what you were saying about refing and discretion, like the one thing that that really that really will piss me off sometimes is when a guy gets a steal and then he gets fouled immediately after, and he basically was, and it's not, let's say it's not a clear path foul, but he was going to make his way to the basket and make a layup, but now they have to take the ball on the side. Like you're basically punishing the guy for getting fouled after he made a great defensive play. Mm-hmm. And it's the same goes for a lot of the long rebounds after shot clock violations. Like the team that that gets a rebound, they might be ready to just go off to the races and get like an easy bucket in transition. And all of a sudden there's a shot clock violation. So, so they're, they're taking the ball out of bounds and the other, other team gets a, gets a chance to set their defense. Like a lot of these rules I think should just be, should like, they sh- it just should be based on like, what's the behavior that you're trying to encourage and what, is a good basketball play. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. I think I agree completely. A lot of it is that I guess, I don't know if it's the proper term or the most PC term that like they call it like the Euro foul, you know, to stop the fast break. That's become really in vogue. Anytime there's a turnover, like someone will just grab the ball handler or someone's stretching up the court, you know, like to stop transition. And that's another play I would love to see legislated almost out where it's one of those where you, we'd have to give the official, the, 
freedom to interpret a play to be like you just like they like they call it the take foul sometimes you know like like he's purposely taking a foul and and I would like to see that that be punished a little more I know the drawback I understand the drawback would be that then because right now you can get that foul call and stop a fast break by just barely touching your opponent which is good and the drawback would be maybe the Pat Beverly's of the world would be like, I am going to stop this fast break and I'm going to make a play on the ball and knock someone over, you know, to make sure I get the foul call. So I guess the drawback would be making sure there's not more physicality of people trying to get fouls. Right. And there's also the possibility that somebody could just be a little bit over aggressive and actually get the ball back with the steal and have that not being called a foul. Yeah. But I think, I think there's definitely some work they can do. I just think there should be more, like it should, I wish the NBA or even college basketball, just basketball on television. I wish it resembled a little closer to like the game that's played when referees aren't there. Like if you tried to do a rip through move at the park and get three free throws, people would be mm-hmm. like, come on, dude, you know, or if you grabbed a defensive rebound and were taking off to run down the court and someone jumped in front of you in the backcourt to take a charge, like there'd probably, <laughs> yeah. be, there'd probably be a fight, you know, You're like, why are you trying to injure me? Like I'm in the backcourt, yeah, like just guard me, like guard me, you know? <laughs> so I, 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 I really wish there would, uh, would there be a little more than that. Um, well, looking at the playoffs this season, one of one of the storylines I'm looking at is in the first round, and I think it's been a very entertaining first round. But one of the things I'm looking at is what, like, first round result could, like, drastically change the shape of the league going forward. As in, looking at the guys like already Paul George and the Pacers have been um, eliminated. I'm curious if there's any other first round result that you see that might have a big effect on maybe like a big name free agent or the direction of one of these franchises that's in the first round. Uh, I mean, there's obviously Kyle Lowry in Toronto, although it looks like they're going to win. They're going to like, I don't know. They're, they're, they're up three, two and the ACC was chanting raps in six. And you know how fans <laughs> are always right about things like, so. <laughs> yeah, but, but it is looking it it is looking better for Toronto, but the one that really sticks out is the Clippers. Yeah, I mean I don't know how incentive these guys have to leave LA, but this team has constructed just like it's not going to get it done, and it's because it's it's been clear for a long time. I think it was a matter of maybe it becoming clearer to to them, and it seems like as the season has worn on for that team, that's kind of what happened. It's like, it's the Clippers. They always have their ups and downs. They play to their potential until they don't. Um, but at the same time, it just seems like there was a lot more infighting this season. Just guys not really wanting to play together anymore or like just a lack of enthusiasm. Like, like they have senioritis is the way that I put it actually. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I think they do have senioritis. I think it's also like they're in a long-term relationship and it's like a long-term relationship that's not really good for either person, but it just needs, it just needs one of the people to be strong enough to be like, you know what? This is over. Like, I'm not going to stick it out. And in the Clippers case, it could be either Chris Paul, I guess, JJ Redick or Blake Griffin to finally be like, you know what guys, this is over. Like, like, like I'm, I'm moving on. I think one of the tough parts for the Clippers is that they've never gotten the sense of closure of getting Mm -hmm. beat down with a healthy roster. You know, like like with Griffin out again, it's one of those like, yeah, but what if we were healthy? Where like the whole rest of the league is kind of like, yeah, you weren't going to beat the Warriors. Like, let's just you, probably, you know, you'd you'd go up and then choke it somehow. Like, right, let's, <laughs> let's be 
<laughs> yeah. This is what you do. Yeah, you get a big, and then something would definitely, the, the curse would rear its head, and, and the clips would fall apart. That is one of the funny things. I do feel like you mentioned the city of L.A. I feel like that is one of the big things holding them together. I feel like if this was the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, no offense, Milwaukee, I'm, you're my second favorite team in this playoffs, but the, uh, if, I feel like if they were in another smaller city, that it would have broken up by now, or one of the guys would have been like, I'm going to go play somewhere else. But I definitely think J.J. Redick likes living in L.A., I think Chris Paul likes L.A. Blake Griffin, obviously, he's got a lot of interests outside of uh, basketball with different media things. So it's it's going to be tough um, with that. I also think it's interesting how NBA franchises, a lot of times based on their first round performances, kind of focus the direction of their franchises. We've seen it before where teams surprise in the first round and, and like they were going to like the Wizards a couple years ago kept Randy Whitman when it seemed like maybe Randy Whitman was going to be gone. And then you have like the Raptors, like if the Raptors would have lost this first round series and they still could, but you know, they won game five tonight. And so now it's like, Oh, well, maybe we'll keep the team together. Maybe we'll bring back Kyle Lauer. We'll bring back Serge Ibaka, like the Grizzlies where it's like, Oh, you, we won a couple games since the Spurs. Maybe, maybe we will, we will, we will keep it together. Um, what's your opinion of that, of where teams maybe have a franchise direction, but it's all, it's seemingly like the decision is made all based on a couple of results that could go either way. I mean, I'm generally a pretty process-oriented person, so I tend to not like that. Especially when it yeah. kind of justifies the path of least resistance, as it does for a lot of these teams that are in the middle. Sometimes it's almost better to just completely get your ass kicked. Like, just so you know where you stand. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the thing that has never happened to the Clippers. And I guess on the same note, it's never really happened to the Raptors, although they, they have had... They've just had less justification to really be able to to make like a crazy move or anything like that. But yeah, in terms of like the way that the the Clippers are, or even to an extent the Grizzlies too, it's you know you keep you keep giving yourself false hope, and then it becomes like a matter of saying things like, "Oh, well, maybe we'll have continuity, and that'll get us through." And all these other teams, they haven't been playing together for as long, and let's just we we just need one good stretch. You just start justifying the reasons to to keep it going, and I think especially for the Clippers in LA, like when I think about these guys' mindsets, like they're all very very competitive. Like Blake Reddick and um, and Paul and, and DeAndre to an extent too. These are guys who've all like gone gone to gone to huge lengths to be able to improve their games throughout their careers. They really all want to win, and I think like. The fact that they have a somewhat contender e team there makes them like justify the the idea that yeah like okay this this makes sense and like having it be LA it is it's just easier to keep it going for yeah. them if like up until something completely like devastating happens. You said the term false hope. I think one of the interesting things is that hope, though, and, and this is I, I had a conversation again about the Grizzlies uh, about this recently on another podcast. It's that false hope is, is so tied in, though, to the organizations and the business side of things and the marketing and selling season tickets. And whether I don't know, you know, false might be too much, but just the idea of hope. Being like, yeah, we, we won a couple games. You know, we, we were hurt. If we would be better, you know, like we're getting the team back together. And because these NBA franchises, a lot of them, you know, really more than others, L.A. not as much, but like the smaller markets depend so much on ticket sales and they have a smaller 
TV reach with the regional TV contracts that that hope, that false hope is something where they're like, you know what? It's it, maybe it's better to have a little hope than to have nothing, you know, you're building with. Like maybe it's yeah. better for the kid. Uh, maybe the analogy of the Grizzlies or the Hawks or like another team like the Hornets just trying to get in the playoffs. It's like the kid with Christmas. Like don't, don't spoil Santa for him. Who cares if it's not going to get better? Like, 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 like I'll, I'll still believe it. I'll still believe in that hope. Like, I, I don't want to grow up to the big city world of, uh, oh, I got to buy my own presents. Like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to win the title as long as like Steph and Kevin Durant are on the same team or LeBron's playing type thing. Um, yeah, I have to say that uh, out of all of the teams in the league, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, but Memphis has definitely done the best job of selling hope. Like the whole, the whole idea of the team is based on that. Like, oh, we're always going to grind you. We'll always, yeah. like, you know, nobody, and nobody wants to play Memphis. Like, there's a reason that exists. Like, they've really, as a team, they've institutionalized playing like that in a way that it's it's weird because, like, you usually look at all those things as cliches, but they do apply to the Grizzlies, and it's it's one of the most incredibly marketable things that you'll ever see in pro sports, I think. Yeah, they definitely have struck gold with multiple catchphrases, like organic catchphrases just seem to fall out of the sky for the Grizzlies. Like, we don't yeah. bluff, grit, grit, gr- all heart, grit, grind, both right. refer- just from players just talking post-game, you know, in mm-hmm. bouts of whatever, just bursts of joy, those sprung forth from their lips. And then with this now, uh, take that for data. Uh, the, 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 the Fizz, the Fizzdale rant. Well, I was, one thing I was thinking, um, have you made it? Like, do you go to many basketball games? Are you able to go to many NBA games? Uh, I've been to a couple, not, not too many. Yeah. Cause I was, I was trying to think of like, maybe like, like, have you had any particularly memorable ones? Cause I was focusing on being at this game four of Spurs Grizzlies on Saturday. I was reflecting on like, is that the best game I've ever gone to? Like, will that be the best game I ever go to? Like you know, multiple last second shots in a playoff game, in, in, in like a good one. So, I'm pretty, I'm pretty jealous if like that game ends up second on your list somehow. Well, I don't know. So, I feel like I've seen a lot of the Grizzlies games. Two notable ones were losses. There was an overtime game where Reggie Jackson for the Thunder scored like 30 points that came down to the wire, and that was a loss. And then I was there for the Clippers coming back from 26 down in the fourth quarter to beat the Grizzlies in the playoffs. So that was also like those yeah. were notable games. I feel like this game might have been more better from start to finish. Uh, that was a Nick Young game, right? A what? The Nick Young game. Yeah, I had I had awesome seats right in front of the Nick Young corner. Like <laughs> like Nick Young oh. hitting three threes in a row. Yeah, I'm not. I'm you just still, got the perfect view to your devastation. Then. Yeah, I, I had a front row seat to my execution. It was a <laughs> it, it, it was good times. Uh, last last thing. Uh, Steve Kerr, you know, there's the talk about him possibly missing the rest of the playoffs because of his complications with his back. If the Warriors uh, don't miss a beat and Mike Brown ends up coaching them in the finals against the Cavs and winning the finals, uh, where would you rank that as far as uh, on the revenge scale? I mean, that's got to be pretty incredible, but I've got a... I've got an alternative theory. What's, what's this? Mike Brown is actually a spy. He's a spy. Oh, this sounds like a turkey bacon conspiracy theory. That's one of our. Uh, that's one of our segments. I like it. You think he's a mole? Oh. You think he's a plant? Mm-hmm. I think you know he was just a bit player at first, and you know, despite ties to the enemy, he is now 
leading at in the highest office in the land. And stop me if any of this sounds familiar, by the way. <laughs> what about, do you think it's related at all? Because I kind of thought last year maybe maybe Andy Verjao was a mole, and then we had Andrew Bogut switching sides. Like the the mm-hmm. this transition of what could be sleeper agents, it runs deep. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Do you think there's maybe any any double agents involved? You know, I I, I, I got to look at my. Uh, I thought Andy Verjao was going to be a double agent, but it turned out he's kind of the perfect one. I, mean, I guess I guess he was like it worked out for him, uh, right? I know I know he publicly turned down his Cavaliers championship ring that was offered to him. What would the motive? What would Mike Brown's motivation be? What would Mike Brown's motivation be if he was the actual sleeper agent? Like like it, 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 he still feels a loyalty to LeBron, or he's gone so far undercover. This is like uh, this is like Homeland season one where. That they they you know, you don't think Brody's a bad guy because he all this terrible stuff happened to him, and so so that's like that was the firing. So the, the Cavs were playing the long game, like years ago, setting him free so he could infiltrate the Warrior system. So here's my my theory is that it's not necessarily LeBron. This is this is about ideology. Okay. So Mike Brown is like an old school defensive coach, slow the pace down, loves to like. I don't think he loves to. I don't think he. I don't know if he really thinks about it that much. But you know, like, not really an offensive-minded coach. Like, totally okay with like his players isolating and stuff. And he hates the new school. <laughs> he just wants to bring it down. This space and space revolution. It's not like he just the arrogance of the Warriors, Silicon Valley. It just it just boils his blood, and he needs to find a way to bring them down. And this is like this is just like he walked into the perfect opportunity. This is great. I can imagine he's being could he be bankrolled by like Charles Barkley? He's like all these jump shooting teams. <laughs> these jump shooting teams shouldn't be winning championships. Maybe Phil Jackson with like the Warriors getting all those cheap points from three pointers. It could be a global. This could be a global conspiracy. So, what do you th- you think when we get to the finals? It's gonna be he's gonna be running all like post ups. He's gonna be calling just all post ups from the bench. I mean, if he allows them to make it to the finals, you think he's gonna shut them down early? Who are you? Who are your finals picks? Do you, do you think it's? I mean, it's Warriors Cavs. Do you have any uh, any bold? If if your conspiracy theory comes through and Mike Brown runs them aground, who, who do you think might make it? I think you know. I might. I, I do. Ha- I do have the Warriors with her. Like in all seriousness, like I think they're <laughs> gonna be. They're gonna be together without, right. well, like with or without Steve Kerr. They will be just fine. Um, if if not them, then you know. I, I think I, I think I've got the Spurs as as my second pick. Yeah. Uh, with the Cavs, honestly, I. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, I feel so. You can't bet against LeBron, but can you bet against LeBron in his like fourth straight finals and this team that is still not really turning it on? And they barely like, not that they like they obviously swept Indiana, but they let them hang around all the time. And I don't know, I don't know. I think uh, I think the Wizards uh, could could really get there. I think they're like they were a little bit more of a, a dark horse earlier, but. 
might just pick them. Yeah, I was feeling pretty solid about the Wizards like a few games ago when they when they were up 2-0 on the Hawks. Like now now the Hawks are are back in the series where it's like that's the thing like I don't like the Hawks, the Raptors, the Celtics, all these teams have been losing and so it it does seem like I don't know we're nitpicking but we look at the Cavs and I, I I would be stunned. I mean Vegas would be stunned. I guess everybody would be stunned. So yeah, I'd have trouble throwing my weight behind uh any of those other ones. Yeah, well, I guess the thing that does make it hard to pick for e- either of them is that all of them are still like their their uh, futures are very very uncertain at this point. Yep. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for uh taking time. Um you got anything you want to plug or tell the people you got coming up? Uh yeah, I think uh tomorrow uh Sports on Earth will have an article about John Wall and his playoff performance and just his uh, his leap this season in general. Yeah, he's been he's been killing it. He's been dunking over everybody. Ruthless. You know who else has been dunking over everybody? Who's JaVale McGee? Nor- that too. Norm Powell. Oh, Norm Powell had a, he had himself a game tonight. <laughs> Norm Powell, who couldn't get off the bench for the first couple of games, having himself a, a couple of games the last two. Definitely uh, making Canada proud, even those of you in, in Alberta which I saw on a map today to make sure I knew exactly where it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, thanks so much for uh, taking the time and hopefully we will talk to you soon sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks to Sarah for joining us. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at Damien Trillard. If you want to support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. We deeply appreciate all of those, all of you who have done that and supported the show financially. You can also write us a five-star iTunes review. Really helps the show out. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at fastbreakbreak. Go to thestepback.com for all your NBA news and entertainment. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being G&G. Man, break, break, man. You understand?